You're listening to Radio Tab's Mobile Rolling. Presented by Garrard's Horse and Hound. Making shopping easier with their online store. The same extensive catalogue, the same keen prices online or over the phone. 1-800-060-896 or visit horseandhound.com.au. Homeward bound in the race by Grins for 2023. Copy that old town road, Akuta. Here's self-assured. The big gun's about to fire. Melita, copy that. Old town road, self-assured down the outside. It's copy that, though. Copy that. He adds the race by Grins to his already magnificent CV. And copy that for the race by Grins in 2023 over Old Town Road. They were followed in by self-assured. Then came Better Eclipse further back at Cooter. As we know, he's a little star in New Zealand. Mick Guerin is about to join us. And there's a couple of reasons I played that. Number one, I want to get an update on Copy That, who's won 29 races from 57 starts. Merv Butterworth, of course, has been on the program plenty of times with Chris Barsby, Ray Green, uh, an older trainer. And, of course, Blair Orange drove the horse there to victory in that uh, race by Grins. Now, the date of that race in 2024 is April 12. Now, I've been texting Grant Dixon about the Inter-Dominion star, Leap to Fame. So at this stage, he may have one Brisbane run next month and a trial, go to the Hunter Cup, Feb 3, go to the Miracle Mile, March 9, and this race by Grins, April 12, is well and truly on the radar. And that would excite Mick Guerin, who joins us now. Thanks for coming on, Mick. Good morning. Good afternoon to you, Steve. I'm, I'm in Auckland, so it's 1.30 in the afternoon here, and a big hi to all your listeners. I hope they enjoyed the Inter-Dominions last Saturday. I How could you not enjoy thing. it? It was great. Yeah, I think it was pretty much a one where everybody got what they wanted, and, and there's nothing like a home state winner, and particularly a home state winner who's a great horse, which he is. So, And the trotting series, oh, there was never going to be a Queensland trotting winner, but there was a bloody good horse winner, and look, he's maybe two-thirds toward being a champion, just believe he's developing an outstanding record. So a lot of fun. Well done to, uh, to Racing Queensland and Albion Park under tricky circumstances with what lies ahead there. But I, I think and hope that while Albion Park is going to close eventually, Steve, that, that the momentum Lowry, as they call Leap to Fame, carries with him would at least keep Queensland engaged. And given he's a valuable end tie, we had Kevin Seymour, the owner of the horse, on yesterday. He wants to see him for a couple of seasons, so they're not rushing him off to stud anytime soon, which is great. And he might well, even the, be great, in that. the great thing is there, Steve, is like, to be perfectly honest, and I, I, I don't talk shit on the radio, I, I believe in telling the truth, the best Excellions aren't really ever believable. I mean, he, he could stand at stud for us. Like King of Swing stood at stud for 10. Maybe at a pinch he could stand for 10, but yeah, they're... Yeah, they're not. It's a funny thing. Like if he stands at starter, he might get 150 meters in Queensland. He might get 100 around Australia. He might get 20 in New Zealand. But yeah, there is there is effectively no domestic market for stallions. Um, I know it's a really hard thing for people to hear because it's quite confronting. Because when you go to the salespeople, say, "Oh, well, he's a cult. He'll be able to do this or that," it just isn't true. Um, the problem is, what saved apart from the Australian speed stallions. But what saves the domestic thoroughbred market is, of course, there's no AI. So if you have a good horse in Queensland, you, know, you can retire a dubious up there and you can serve 100 beers. But the problem is when Leap Fame goes to stud, as is King of Swing, who's had really good support, you're up against the best stallions in the world. It literally would be like if 
every thoroughbred breeder in Australia could go to Equinox. And you say, well, not if you could afford to go to Equinox, but plenty could. So it's really funny if it was standard but domestic markets. Like, if you said to any person listening to the show, name the three best, and I'm not picking on Australia, because New Zealand's had slightly more success. They've had Christian Cullen and Courage Under Fire, who are both wonderful stallions. But if you said name the three best domestic Australian stallions in the last 50 years, there's no chance you could name them, and I doubt anybody listening to the show could name them. It's just such a hard thing to do because AI has basically killed it off. The good side about that is this. You might as well race them. He might as well stick around for three years because when he does retire, there'll be some sort of stud career there. But better horses than Leap to Fame have retired to stud, like Al Su, who's better than him so far. Leap to Fame may end up being better than Al Su. I don't know the answer to that. But they just don't have selling careers. And even Lazarus is really struggling to produce consistent winners because he's up against his own father, Better's Delight, and he's up against Captain Treacherous. So it's a really interesting conversation, the domestic stallion one. People say it all the time, but as someone who buys and sells a lot of horses, it's not really true. The last meeting at Mecca Delbian Park will be 2026, and that's in a Dominion year, so uh, we may see him there in that final run in the winter time to attract the Kiwi representation in the final Inter Dominion ever at Albion Park, if that goes to play in 2026. Wouldn't it be great to, uh, to send it out on a high? It's been a wonderful track, Albion Park. Um, it's been a tricky last 10 years for, for a lot of reasons, floods and the Gold Coast track at the end of Dominions once. And it's, I think it's a place that a lot of people have fond memories of. But anybody who goes to normal harness racing meetings would know that on a normal Saturday night, there'd be a few hundred people there as paying customers. It's incredibly difficult harness racing in Australia, Steve, because the gallops are so big and not many people want to go to Eagle Farm and then roll into the double at Albion Park. Um, and just punter fatigue kicks in. So many people get at so many tracks on Saturday. So it's really become an, a television sport. A lot of people will keep rolling into the TV, but whether you would get in the car and go to the races is a different thing. Um, and you found that with places like Albion Park. The flip side is with places like Menango and Melton, you found that people don't want to drive out of town to go to the races, but you say, well, would they be going to town if they were in the centre of town anyway? So that's been the great issue for, gallop, for harness racing in the last 10 years, Steve, is I don't think anybody saw the gallops getting as big as it has, and it, it just takes so much oxygen out of the room on a Saturday afternoon I know myself, I, I start doing radio at 7 o'clock on Saturday morning and often I'm watching Menango at midnight New Zealand time and it's just exhausting, but I'm getting paid to do it. I'm not sure how a normal person would handle it. So that's been one of the great issues for the Albion Parks of the world because when you have these facilities worth so much money in CBD-like areas and the usual crowd is under 1,000 people, two days a week, Steve, and say to yourself, how do you justify it? So I want to see Albion Park keep going, but um, realistically, it's, you can absolutely see how these things end up being usurped for more money, e.g. Singapore Gallery. With the time slot, I want to get your thoughts. They decided to run it at 6.30 Eastern Standard, so 6.30 Queensland time. What did you think about that, having the interview final at that time, early in the night? <laughs> 
I loved it. I think it's a great idea. I would have won the trotting final straight afterwards. Um, I, I think I've spoken to a lot of horse trainers and administrators about this in the last two years. And again, talk about change. People want big bang events um, over your way. You know that from the Magic Millions. Plenty of people will go to the Magic Millions have no interest going to Hollandale. You know, they want to go because it's an event. So I spoke to Chris Waller about it on here once. I said, what do you do? He said, pit as many big races on the biggest cars as you can. That's what they deserve to be in front of lots of people and make your big events massive, but don't try and make your small events big. And I think with the gallops again being so big, if you can create those what I call golden hour situations where you have an overlap between the gallops, or last week it was even more of an overlap because of Ollie riding in Perth. But if you can go good harness race at Albion Park straight after the last at Randwick on a usual Saturday, you might tie the people in. What I find is if you have a meeting, Steve, where people go, okay, they've run the last at Flemington or Randwick or Eagle Farm, and you, 10 minutes later on your TV, you've got an average race with no name recognition out of Albion Park or Menangle. You go, and once you lose them for a race, you don't get those people back. Once they change the channel from Sky Channel to the footy or the cricket, it's really hard to get them to come back unless you have a leap to fame. So there was a lot to be said for trying to keep people lured into those meetings and saying to them, the gallops are finished, let's migrate them to becoming harness punters. I'm not sure whether that's guaranteed $100,000 early quarters. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly the best way you do it. But what I do know is that by putting a decent horse in that card early in the program, you did give yourself a chance at name recognition because name recognition is such a big part of the industry for us. Look at last week in Perth. Would as many people have watched that if the Oliver wasn't riding in that race in that great story? I don't think so. So I think harness racing needs to look at that. Again, there are some people who say, well, our turnover is not as good at that time of the day as later in the night. But one of the biggest issues harness racing's had for a while is trying to get young people. Every survey you see, there's some administrator telling us that we need to get more young people in the game. Well, that is true. But the biggest all of people who can bet on harness racing in Australia are gallops punters who don't now. And you have a lot more chance of migrating 2% of your gallop punting market to harness than you are migrating the same worth of people who are non-punters at the moment. You're not just going to walk through the middle of Brisbane and find people and say, come to the trots and fall in love with this. But you might migrate some of those gallops punters um, to harness early in the evening so I think sometimes we're targeting the wrong market Steve from a punting point of view it's a different thing if you're talking about crowd and and, and the ambiance point of view. Interesting comments indeed so if Leap to Fame ends up running on April 12 in that Grins race that copy that one earlier this year what other representation is going to be in that race at this stage and I'm keen to know what's happening with copy that and do you think what's happening with horses like Swayze and Better Eclipse and Spirit of St Louis and those horses are, are they a chance of some of those heading over for the race by Greens as well? In order, copy that's in uh, Victoria. He's just had surgery on a knee, so he won't be seen for six to eight months, but they are enthusiastic. They will get him back to the track. So copy that's a no. Uh, Swayze, impossible to tell. 
impossible to tell, but I wouldn't think Cambridge suits him because he's not a natural gate speed horse. It's a long way to go because he can't win if he's in front. So I think a lot of people are going to see who goes where because there's a race a, a week later in Perth called the Nullarbor. So they might go, okay, Victor Fame's going. Better Eclipse will get a slot. He's absolute certain to get a slot. He raced in it last year. He was good. Um, Greg Sugars and Jess Tubbs will bring Just Believe across for the trot slot race the same night. It's a $575,000 trotting race. So I'm absolutely certain they won't go this week. So once they bring him across, it's easy to bring two across, and, and people will want him because he's a very good horse. So that'll be two slots. Um, then you start saying, if you own Catch a Wave or Swayze, do you really want to go to New Zealand to take on a Cooter, Merlin, Leap to Fame, uh, and Better Eclipse? And the answer is probably no. So you start losing horses because they don't want to go take on all those good horses. So they might go to the Nullarbor in Perth and, and try their luck there against what's not going to be a stronger field. So, but if you have Merlin, Selfish Audio won the race two years ago, Akuta, maybe Don't Stop Dreaming, Leap to Fame, and Better Eclipse, and potentially Swayze, or the new horse for Jason Grimson, Hot and Treacherous, then you've got a hell of a race. Also, the same night, Steve, you're going to have more than likely Just Believe, Muscle Mountain, Oscar Bonavina, Bolt for Brilliance, and Queen Elida in the strongest Australasian trotting race for probably 15 years. I don't say this lightly because I'm not a very parochial person, Steve, because I go to race meetings all over Australasia, I go to race meetings all over the world. But if the horses I just mentioned all turn up at Cambridge on April the 12th, it'll be the strongest harness racing meeting held in Australasia since probably 2000, so 23 years. Wow. Total depth, because in 2000, you had Inter-Dominion, which at different stages of the Inter-Dominion had Christian Cullen, Courage Under Fire, Holmes DG, Brady Fellow, Shaker Maker, um, yeah, Safe and Sound. They were all racing in the same series, and during the trotting series, you had uh, Lyle Creek and a horse called Euro Ranger who came out from, from Europe. But we haven't had a total... We've had some great inter-dominions with Blacks of Faith because he was a total champion. And on the Mighty Quinn and El Sue. But the trotting series around those horses weren't standout trotting series. They were great trotting series. But we could have one of the strongest trotting fields in two decades on the same night as one of the strongest pacing races in two decades. Yeah, it's a million. Is it still the race by Greens? Is it a million? Uh, it's a million, and the trotting race is a new race. It's 575,000, so the richest trotting race ever held in the Southern Hemisphere. So Cambridge is a very good viewing track. It's like Albion Park. It could set up really nicely for a very special night. So a lot of horses have to do a lot of the things right between now and then, but, yeah, that, that would be um, something special, and that would be the manifestation of what we hoped slot races would be, which is actually bringing the best horses together for boosted stakes. So we, we can hope so, Steve. You know, Leap to Fame is the key piece to that. He is the king on the chessboard. Yeah, imagine if he was come, heading to New Zealand off a Hunter Cup win, off a Miracle Mile win. Imagine the hype. Yeah, the, the hype would be huge. And 
It's a funny thing, Mick Defame. He, he, he's such a good horse, and his lack of gait speed's been such an issue for him. But eventually, Grant, you know, we'll find a way to get more out of him. You can, it's different things you can do to a horse to do it. But um, it's, it's ironically, he is such a good horse. But you go back to his record this year, outside the sunshine sprint where he settled off his speed, in all the big races, when he's led, he's won, and when he hasn't led, he hasn't won. But he's and been damn good, though, hasn't he, and those when he's done it to do it tough. Look, Steve, he absolutely has, but one thing I do not do is overhype horses because when you do, people get burned. Like, we saw that in the Blacks of Fake. I think he was $1.20, um, then the Eureka, then the Victoria Cup. So he is a hell of a good horse, but he's not a part to win a good horse yet. And maybe he'll learn to beat it. Yeah, but the Hunter Cup's an incredibly tough race to sit part in. Then you've got a Miracle Mile on a race by Grimm. So uh, I still think there's extra two lengths in this horse. I think there is. But I also think that there was a lot of talk earlier this year that he was the best horse in the world, which is just nonsense. It's just, it's just a, people shouldn't say that. There's no different to you and I saying that Imperatrice is the best mare in the world. Yeah, I, I agree. Should, That's just nonsense because we don't well, know. Well, well, we shouldn't have jobs. Yeah, it fan, It's fans' jobs to talk rubbish about the Brisbane Broncos or, you know, whoever. That's their job. And God bless them and do so. But if you're being paid to do it, you need to be analytical. And imagine if you went up to John Gosden and told John Gosden was Imperatrice was the best horse in the world. And he's got Emily up, John, and Innsbruck. You look at Gamora or tried it in Japan. And that's the same thing with Leap to Fame. We had this whole thing happening this year where people say he's the best horse in the world. A very simple question. Well, who's the second best? Because unless you can tell me who the second best horse in the world is, you cannot possibly tell me he's better than that. Now, the best horse in the world is probably a horse called Confederate, who's a horse in America who's got 146 and change. Now, he would beat Leap to Fame over a mile. There's no doubt. But Leap to Fame would probably beat him over 2,600 metres at Albion Park. But I think when, when it happens in this part of the world that people say those sort of things, we look insular and we look small. And it really matters to me we don't say it because one day, and it's only happened about five times in the 140-year history of harness racing in this part of the world, one day we might have the best horse in the world. We've done it a couple of times. And for people to take you seriously, you need to not be going down that path every year. And we've had a lot of that in the last five years. At one stage, Lock and Barat was the best horse in the world. And it really matters to me, Steve, because it makes us look like a bunch of country bumpkins who don't have access to the internet. And what we've seen subsequent to those calls that were coming out earlier this year was Leap to Fame was beaten in three straight major races. And this is not picking on Leap to Fame. This is talking about being honest with punters because when punters see that and they go take their multi into the dollar sixty, then they go, well, why did those people tell me he was the best in the world? He wasn't. And what happened is, since that's happened, Confederate's gone to the Red Mile in Kentucky and paid 146.2. So, yeah, I, I take those obligations really seriously. And I think there's more to leap to fame, and I think he may have the potential to end up being the best horse. Is he the, the best in Australasia right now, though? He's certainly yeah, the... Absolutely, absolutely no doubt. No doubt about that. Yeah. But as I said, it's just important that as an industry, we don't try and sell that, because here's what matters. There's gamblers people listening to this right now, um, and they'll be having their all-upper. They'll have an all-up this week at Doombin or wherever. God bless them. Go get involved. And they'll go, oh, I'll tuck this into that other thing. I saw it win the other day. It can't get beaten in the Hunter Cup. It's 2.4. But they can get beaten. And you've got to get to all of that because nothing will piss people off more, Steve, 
then if they kill us punters and we tell them this is an unbeatable freaking harness racing and then they back it and it gets beat. Well, that's how getting a bit a few months ago would leap to fame, as you said. He was outstanding in defeat, but he was being beaten. Um, also, mate, same as Captain Revishing. Captain Revishing was being called the best horse in the world. It hasn't won a race since. And the horses can't hear you. And we're not here to make owners happy and, and make them all feel love-fest. We're here to do a job. I think it's really important that we let Leap to fame tell us how good a horse he is. Because he's only a baby. He's only four. Let him tell us. And if he does win the Hunter Cup and does win the Miracle Mile and does win the race by Burns, and more importantly, since parked to win one of them, then we go, holy heck, this is a race horse. This is something special. He's already special. But he'll tell us how special he is. He doesn't need people making up hyperbole on social media because they don't have the knowledge to actually know who the best horse in the world is. It's a really good question as a journalist, Steve, to ask people. If anybody ever says to you, who's the best horse in the world? And it's quite timely because the time for ratings came out last night for the Gallopers. I always look them in the eye and say, who's the second best? And if they can't answer that question, they don't get the right to make the first statement. All right. Well, that's uh, the latest there. Um, yeah, that'll be sensational if that all comes together, as you said, Leap to Fame's appearance and also just believe in the big trot race on the same night uh, in April. Now, th- by the way, that grins, how far is that race distance? 2,200 metres 22. from the mobile, and it's an eight and two configuration. Um, and the good news is for horse like Leap to Fame, in Australia, there's a lot of really fast gate speed horses, Steve, but in New Zealand, there's not. It's not a primary skill over here. So he's more chance of coming over here and blasting to the lead, in which case he would disappear into the wild blue yonder. He'd be a certainty uh, than he is in Australia because they just do gate speed better in Australia. Um, but, yeah, I, the other thing, too, is if he is going to have any sort of commercial studying career, any sort, and you know, Grant is a guy I'm, I really like having deep conversations about these sort of things with, if he can win a race by Grins and a New Zealand Cup, which they want to try and win with them, horse, then you might get 20 or 30 beers in New Zealand at 10,000 and that really adds to the cake because if you get 250 beers in Australia, some of them are going to be no good and that's the last thing you need but if you get 200 beers in Australia and 30 or even 50 beers in New Zealand um, you're going to get good beers because people aren't going to bother going to a $10,000 stallion unless they've got decent beers so yeah, I, I think if he wants to be a commercial stallion, and not just a one-state commercial stallion, if he wants to be a commercial stallion, he needs to be a trans-Tasman stallion because it's incredible. Like Christian Cullen and Courage Under Fire, the horses who have done it, um, have needed that commercial base in both areas because I think a lot of people listening to this, Steve, would be stunned how small the quality broodmere pack is. And uh, in New Zealand, they only breed like 1,800 mares a year. So it doesn't take long to work out. There's not that many good ones floating around. When you divide them between Art Major, Captain Virtuous, Edith Delight, and a few others, um, you need all the good ones you can get. Yeah. Just with Captain Ravishing, um, is it fair to say he's like a V8 car, but every now and then due to problems, he runs on six cylinders and not eight, and that's why we just haven't seen the best of him. There's another setback there as well, I hear, where he's out for a period of time. But obviously when he's feeling well-tuned up and everything's feeling good in his body, he can go any sort of time. But it's just unfortunate he's plagued with problems. And you can clearly see that sometimes. Is that fair to say in his races with things he used to do where he's running through the pain barrier? I think they didn't teach him to conserve his energy. 
And I had long conversations with James McDonald about his job on nature's trip. And he said, we had to teach him to conserve his energy. So when we pushed the button, there was energy there. Whereas Captain Ravishing, once they lit him up, he just lit, he just lit up. Well, that's great. But what happens when you're parked outside Leap to Fame? Because he isn't going to break. You're not going to break Leap to Fame. And if you can't conserve your energy and learn to breathe properly, um, then you can't get the lactic acid built up out of your muscles. So what you have is a horse who can run like hell, but when he doesn't get the lead, a horse like Leap to Fame stays inside him and it gets too hard. And we saw that in Victoria Derby last year. So if they have a, if they have an Achilles heel to their training, is sometimes they don't conserve their horses, they drive them like they're trucks. Uh, and for a, a big son of Captain Treacherous who gets over the ground and, and, and gets so excitable in his races, that just didn't work. So, look, I'm not telling them how to train horses. They get their horses very fit, but I, I think they that's a skill set they could learn that would make their horses better. And with the Captain Treacherouses, they're quite hot horses because he's a son of some beach somewhere who, again, was quite a hot horse. So once you start firing them up, you only get so many runs out of them. Um, as I said, this is all stuff I've learned, Steve, in the last five years by talking to jockeys and talking about how they get horses to conserve that energy in the middle stage of a race. But if you can't do it, you end up with two things. Horses who don't know how to dig deep when they have to because they don't have residual energy and they don't know how to, re- how to refill their lungs in the middle stages of races. And you end up with horses that keep breaking themselves because if the people listening to the show went outside and sprinted a kilometre every day, eventually they're going to do something bad for themselves. And that's what happens with those horses who you can't teach to be kind to themselves because every race is a war. And that's why winning races by 25 and 30 metres is a waste of time. And I still don't understand why anybody ever tries to do it. Just uh, Matty Young's with us now. We, we've only, your time is on the wing from the West. Uh, he's listening to this conversation. Uh, just with Melwood Nike, before we wrap up, 16 for 16. Well, what's happening with her at the moment? Uh, Philly. 17. She, she's actually 17. I, I don't, don't worry, I get those things wrong. 17, is she? I, I always lose count of them. I get on the internet look them up all the time. Uh, she's 17 for 17. She had a, um, uh, a tendon scan on Monday. And she's got a one centimetre tear in her tendon, so she'll get the uh, the PRP treatment, um, and then she'll have shockwave therapy on that. They keep them in work, so they keep the elasticity in the tendon. If you put them out of work, obviously, and sometimes it gets a bit too taunt, and then it's really hard to get the elasticity back into them, much in the same way they do with an Achilles heel on the human. So she'll keep working very, very low grade. And and they expect her to be back in six months, but there's no point bringing her back in six months because it's the middle of winter and she won't be racing in Brisbane. So effectively, it'll be nine months before we see her again. Real shame, but again, she's by Captain Treacherous. She's one of those big, strong, long-striding horses, uh, and when they push the button on her, she just gives it her all. And... Sometimes you're going to see a lot of us with the Captain Treacherouses over the next 10 years. They will be the best athletes in harness racing. They will also be the ones who end up breaking down the most because, as they say in the TV ads, the faster you go, the bigger the damage. Yeah. Just with Millwood Nike, if she didn't have that problem and she stayed sound and racing the way she was and progressing and getting mature, how would she measure up against some of those old heads that we just spoke about uh, as an older mare if she was sound? Uh, I don't think the horses she's beating are very good, but 
Um, I think usually for horses, when they come into open grade against Link to Fame, they need to learn to run through the pain barrier because they've done things so easily for their entire lives. And they need to learn how to react when they're exhausted at the 800. And they need to learn to... to you see with the harness horses a lot, they put their heads on the side. Captain Rabbishman does it. They get under stress and they don't know what to do, so they put their head on the side. And that, that's often to take weight off a muscle or a joint which is being troubled. So because they haven't done it, um, yeah, they, they don't know what to do. So you tend to find the horses who come into open class, Steve, and handle the best are the derby horses because derbies are such tough races. So they've learned to handle a pain barrier whereas she has not been in a derby because she's a girl. So I think she would have taken six months to acclimatise to it. Uh, Adore Me got beaten the first time she went to Menangle, and Adore Me is probably a better mare than Millwood Nike so far. But, um, yeah, I think she would have the motor to handle coming up straight out of the gate against Sleep to Fame on those horses. I doubt she could beat them because she just hasn't learned the skills and the resilience to learn how to beat them. In wrapping up, Invercargill, it's a big meeting for this club tomorrow. I see one of the established uh, top liners over there is going around and it off uh, 20, self-assured, beach ball off 10. What's going to win the Invercargill Cup tomorrow? I think probably, Steve, beach ball. It's a great story. Uh, four years after Ricky May nearly all did die and was brought back to life. Um, Ricky's heading south again. He had his incident close enough to this part of the world and this will be Ricky's biggest pacing win since, if he can pull it off. So, had a good talk to Ricky. That story will be on thetrots.com tomorrow about dying on the track and what life is like after that and, and what it's like to be at 65, given a second lease on life and driving horses like Beach Ball. So, I think he'll probably win, but it's a tricky race. Uh, and Oscar Bonavina is going down there as well, so he'll probably win. So, it's a really good race meeting uh, coming out of them. The card tomorrow, sort of twilightish, so it'll kick off about one o'clock Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Certain names just stick in your head. Obviously, I'm concentrating on thoroughbreds every day, but to AG's White Sox was the horse, wasn't it? Yep, AG's White Sox and Ricky had a heart issue, died on the track, was brought back to life, um, given an operation, and it's a fascinating story. It's, it's, it'll be on the tots.com tomorrow, and lots of people are having a break, so they have something to read, but yeah, he'll, he'll be hopefully the star of the show tomorrow for his first big pacing Group 1 win since that quite remarkable and terrifying incident four years ago. I actually, I actually wrote his obituary, Steve. It was a weird experience because Ricky and I are personal friends. Um, I wrote his obituary because the Herald said, look, if this guy dies overnight, we need to go with this in the morning. Horrendous experience to go through. Um, 800 words, and I sat there and just felt hollow afterwards. And the next morning I woke up to the news that he was on the improve. And... Um, yeah, the happiest story in my life I've been Did you show him what you wrote? If I told him I wrote the over, he said, can I ever read? I said, no, I'm going to keep it until you do die. <laughs> oh, jeez, okay. <laughs> that was 2020, of course, yeah. yeah I'm hoping yeah. it's another 30 years away, but, um, but no, it's, uh, yeah, it's, every time I see Ricky win a race, I think to myself, I'm just glad our little buddy's there because he's a hell of a good boy. Yeah. Um, not a dissimilar book to Grant Dixon, a very nice person and very honest and earnest person. A little bit shorter, but 
But um, yeah, it's one of those things where um, I've never been so happy to have wasted three hours of my life writing a story which hopefully will never see the light of day. I can imagine when I go in uh, this afternoon, there's a couple of racing enthusiasts I stop in the shops. So I go, oh, is that bloke on the day of the harness stuff? He made a hell of a lot of sense. Uh, uh, you well, should get him on every... <laughs> trust me, Steve, there'll be plenty of others who say, who is that moron? Don't get him on again. But look at the bright side. At least on radio, Steve, they don't have to see my face. We all love opinions. Thanks, Mick. Hey, always a pleasure. Merry Christmas to all you listeners. Yeah, gun journalist, of course, from New Zealand. And uh, not only keeping up with uh, standard bread racing, but also thoroughbred racing as well. Mick Guerin.